Welcome to Practical Christian Living. We often say, if I see it, I'll believe it. And when we're debating people, people like atheists and others, they say that. I won't believe it unless I see it. Kind of sounds like Doubting Thomas, who finally did see. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Thomas, because you have seen and believed. But blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. It's not about how much faith you have, but how you use the faith you have. It's not just believing in God. It's believing He is the God who is real, who moves and works in our lives and still does miracles. We're in the book of Hebrews talking about faith, believing what God says and receiving the amazing promises He has for you. With more from Hebrews 11, 17 through 40, here's Robert Furrow. Father, thank you so much for the time that we're able to spend here tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness that we find in your word. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Your word is alive and active and it moves and works in our hearts. Lord, we want to have the right heart. We want to have the right attitude. We want to be thinking correctly. And so we pray that you would do all of those things in our lives. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There are three times in the New Testament that an Old Testament passage is quoted out of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, the just shall live by faith. We find it in the book of Romans. We find it in the book of Galatians. And we find it in the book of Hebrews. What all three of those books have in common is that they are fighting against legalism. Literally, a desire to go back into the law. No wonder each time in Romans and Galatians, Paul brought up the just shall live by faith. And whoever the author of Hebrews is, which very well could be Paul, then he as well says the just shall live by faith. That we would know that people as far back as Cain and Abel, which we talked about last week, came to God by faith. And people under the law came to God by faith. Faith is trusting in God. Faith is not just believing that God exists. It's not just having knowledge about God. We could say, I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. I believe he ascended into hell. I believe that he ascended up into heaven. That, that's one of the creeds, by the way. You could say and genuinely believe all of those things, but not trust in God when, while you're believing them. Live your life your own way. Never give yourself to God and you are not truly believing. You have head knowledge about what the truth is, but you haven't trusted God with it. And that's what the word faith means. Faith doesn't just mean believing intellectually. It means trusting in it completely. And those are the examples that we're getting here in Hebrews chapter 11. And he starts off giving us a lot of detail about the first few individuals, and then he speeds up as he gets more into it. And there are four things that I have here about faith that can make our faith effective. We know that we are saved by the grace of God. I heard somebody say today that we're saved by faith. That's just not true. I understand what you're saying. 
I'm not going to call you a heretic if you say that we're saved by faith, but just understand we are not saved by our faith. That would make faith a work. We are saved by God's grace through our faith. We believe in him and God's grace is applied to our life and grace is undeserved favor. So it's no kind of a work. So you are saved. You are saved by grace through faith by putting your trust in him. And we want our faith to be effective. Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 6, So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by its roots and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Of course, there's another passage that says, If you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea. The idea is the same. It's not about having a great deal of faith. It's about using the faith that you have. And we saw just two things we saw last week. I kind of want to recap a little bit. That is that we saw a definition and description of faith in verse 1 of chapter 11. Faith is the, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So faith is a substance by which we obtain what we're hoping for. God tells us what our future is going to be. We have all things. We are co-inheritance with Christ. We are heading to a place where there's no tears, no sorrow, no more death. Those are all things we hope for. And believing and trusting in God is the substance by which we obtain those things. So unless you believe in God, you're not going to receive those things we're hoping for. If you just intellectually believe God exists, but you don't trust him with your life, you don't believe in him, rely upon him, then you're not going to receive them. The second part of that verse says it's the evidence of things not seen. We often say, if I see it, I'll believe it. And when we're debating people, people like atheists and others, they say that. I won't believe it unless I see it. Kind of sounds like doubting Thomas, who finally did see. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Thomas, because you have seen and believed. But blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And when you believe, you trust something God has said, you connect with it, then you are able to see. You gain what you believed by faith. So often things are inverse. The, the principle of inversion in the kingdom of God. The first will be last and the last will be first. Okay, that's an inversion principle. And so another one of them is that I believe in order to see. I listen to what God says. Well, you say, well, what do I believe? You believe the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It says in Romans chapter 10, so you believe what God says and because you believe, you will now see the promises that are there through faith and patience, the Bible says, we receive the promises of God. Now I'm going to give you this evening through the course of our study four different aspects that make faith very effective and we want to have effective faith. We don't want our faith to not be effective and in order to have effective faith, we're going to need to learn the principles that are laid out in this chapter. So the first principle is that faith will be tested. Principle number one for effective faith, faith will be tested. Let me give you a couple of verses. The first one is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. After listing a whole bunch of things that we receive in Christ, he says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, 
being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You want your faith tested because if you think you have genuine faith and you don't, then you will not receive the promises. A genuine faith is precious like gold and silver, more precious than gold and silver. It says being much more precious than gold and silver. So if you think you have faith, but then you discover you don't have faith, you've missed out on something that is much more precious than gold and silver. And so God brings difficulties and various trials into your life so that you can be tested to see whether or not you have genuine faith. And every once in a while, there's something bad that happens to someone that's in the church. And they'll tell me, if God would allow this to happen to me, I had a guy tell me one time, it was, it was very sad. If God would allow this to happen to my son, then I'm not following him. Well, that's tested faith that has been found not to be genuine. This verse says here, the genuineness of your faith, there in, in verse six, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. And so God allows us to face difficulties, fiery trials and various trials. Now, I often say when I'm talking about this, I don't like that. I would rather the genuineness of my faith could be tested by good times. God's like, I'm going to test the genuineness of your faith by giving you a vacation to Hawaii. Why don't you go to Maui, lay out on the beach, play a little golf, have a little fun, and we're going to see whether or not your faith is real. <laughs> when God doesn't do it that way. And so we face various trials that the genuineness of our faith being more precious than gold can be tested. Let me give you another one. This one I'm sure you're very familiar with. James 1, 2, and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. Another version of the Bible says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That is, that not only is God, when he's, when he's taking you through a various trial, not only is he testing the genuineness of your faith, that you would say, no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to trust, I'm going to believe in God. But he's also causing you endurance, giving you patience, that you would know no matter what, no matter the hardship, no matter the difficulty, I'm going to hang in here. There's almost nothing that is worthwhile that doesn't cost you something. If you go, you know what, I want to go out and run a 5K, which some of you guys have done. And you work hard to run that 5K, don't you? And there comes a time when you think, maybe I'll just, maybe I just won't, right? You're planning for it. You're trying to get ready for it. And you're like, you know what? Maybe I don't need to run a 5K. You want to get in shape and you want to go on a, you know, 50 mile mountain bike ride, which would be brutal in itself, okay? And you got to get ready for that. Well, you need endurance. You're not going to get that by, you know, pedaling a tricycle around your driveway. You're going to go have to go out and do some hard things. And that the trials you're putting yourself through allow you to be able to endure later on when you go out and are involved in that mountain bike race or in that 5K or whatever it is. And so that's what God is doing to you on a spiritual level. He's doing something inside of you to produce endurance because you and I are not called you know, some people teach that coming to Jesus is just like coming to Jesus and us, all good things are going to happen. The self-help kind of Jesus. 
But we are called as light. We are called as salt. We are called to make a difference in the kingdom of God. We are called to, to take the keys of the kingdom and let people into heaven. That's going to cost us something. We're going to have to run that race that God's given us. And so we come to verse 17, and here's where we find the test of faith for Abraham. We had learned last week that Abraham was told by God to leave the land that he was in and go to a land that God would show him. God does that sometimes. I want you to follow me. Where are we going? I'll show you. Can you tell me now? I'll show you. I would like to know before I leave. I'll show you. And so Abraham left not knowing, and God led him to the promised land. And when he got there, he said, look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All this land I have given to you and your descendants perpetually. And so he had faith. He went with God, not showing him, but found the place God brought him to, and God gave it to him. And now we learn by faith, verse 17, Abraham, when he was tested, see this whole chapter is about faith. This is the hall of faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. So God comes to Isaac and says, take your son, your only begotten son, go to a mountain that I will show you and sacrifice him there. And Abraham gets his son, Isaac, and takes him up on this mountain. And what we learn that we don't learn in the Old Testament, because we know the end of the story for those of you guys who don't know, because I assume there are some here who don't know, he doesn't sacrifice his son, all right? He, he ties him up on a bundle of wood and pulls back the knife and God stops him. And it is a type of God the Father giving his only begotten son on the cross as a sacrifice for us. But he was testing Abraham because he had given Abraham a promise earlier. He had, had come to Abraham and said, through the seed of Sarah, all nations are going to be blessed. We learn from Galatians that that word seed means an individual, not a, a people, but a person. That would be the, the Messiah. So that through Sarah was going to come the Messiah. Well, he had a child through Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden. And he said, oh God, that Ishmael would live before you. And God said, no. But through, through Sarah, your seed shall be blessed. And so he has, she has a child in her old age, Isaac. Well, now he's told to go take Isaac and sacrifice him. But he knows that God has said through Isaac, the Messiah is going to come. So he knows Isaac has to be alive. So we learn by faith what he thought while he was being tested. He knew that there was this huge contradiction. God says through Isaac, the Messiah is going to come and the world's going to be blessed. And God now told me to go and sacrifice my son. There's a contradiction. And sometimes our tests feel like contradictions to us. And we have to kind of work it out. Now, he worked it out wrongly in his mind. What he said to himself in order to follow God's commandment was not what God was going to do. Does that ever surprise you? Do you ever find yourself coming up with an idea that you think God's going to do it this way, but God does it another way? Listen to what Abraham thought was going to happen. It says, let me start from verse 17 again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Concluding, here's Abraham's conclusion. 
that God was able to rise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham thought God's word has to be true. The seed will come through Isaac. I'm going to sacrifice him, but God's going to raise him from the dead. And he did receive Isaac back figuratively because in his mind, he was going to be obedient to God and sacrifice his son. And so he received his son back from the dead. And in this, it becomes a real picture of the type of Jesus Christ giving his life as a sacrifice and actually rising from the dead. What he thought the conclusion was going to be was the conclusion that God was going to bring through the Messiah, not in Isaac. And so when God asks us to do something that we don't understand, know that God is good. Know that God's going to give you a clear word about it. Know that God will bring contradictions together in his own way. And so in verse 20, it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau are Isaac's sons concerning the things to come. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Why was Jacob leaning on the top of his staff when he blessed his 12 sons? Because he had wrestled with God and God had put his hip out of joint. And the Bible says he limped from then on. A lot of lessons in that, by the way. Maybe you just shouldn't wrestle with God. But sometimes weaknesses are God's way of blessing you. And we just can't see it clearly. And so he leaned on his staff when he was old and dying because of the wrestling with God and the weak hip and his hip being put out of joint. And he worshiped God. And then we come to Joseph. So he's going quickly now through these generations. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. So God had somehow revealed to Joseph that they were going to leave and go back to the promised land. And so Joseph tells his family, take my bones out of Egypt and bury them in the promised land, knowing that they are going to go back there again. And so by faith, he asked them to bury him in the promised land. The second aspect that we learn about faith from Hebrews chapter 11 is that there are choices that are made because of your faith. The first one is your faith is going to be tested. The second one is you're going to make different choices because you are a man or a woman of faith than you would make if you weren't. There are choices of faith that have to be made. And we see this as he brings up Moses. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. It makes you wonder what would have happened had the child been ugly. Well, that's one ugly baby. Just let this one go. Oh, we were going we to let this baby be drowned in the river, but it's pretty. <laughs> I think there's more there. I, I think that the beauty is a beauty that God had shown them for this, this child, God's purpose and God's plan. So then we get to Moses. That's Moses' parents. They hid him for three months. Hard thing to do by faith. They're in slavery, by the way, right? And they're in, in such a horrible slavery that they're commanding the death of all the male babies. And in that horror, they walk by faith and hide this child and he becomes the deliverer. And then by faith, Moses, when he had become of age, 
which to the Egyptians seems to be 40 years old, because that's how old he was when this happened. So we jump 40 years in the life of Moses. When he had become of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Okay. He's been talking about the law. He's been talking about the new covenant. He's been talking about the old covenant. Those of you that have been with us through the studies in Hebrews, you remember that. He's been talking about the superiority of the sacrifice of Jesus, the high priest of Jesus, the superiority of the heavenly tabernacle over the earthly tabernacle. And now we have Moses that is known as the what? The law giver. And now the writer of Hebrews says, Moses didn't live by the law. He wasn't justified by the law. Moses was justified by faith. The just shall live by faith. And Moses, when he was 40 years old, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know if I've ever seen that depicted in a show. Maybe it has been. But to finally stop and say, I will not be called your son anymore. We know a lot about Moses during this time. We know that he was trained in all the schools and ways of the Egyptians. We know that he was a warrior. He takes on a bunch of shepherds in Midian to kind of win over his wife, by the way. Of course, maybe the shepherds weren't trained in war, but he was. But he refused. He came to a point and probably, and I don't know that I've seen this depicted either. Again, maybe it has been. I'm just not aware of it. But probably because his mom, remember, she gave that child up. She put it in the river. I may be downstream from Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter's out taking a bath in the shower. Or a bath in the, she's taking a bath in the shower. Pharaoh's daughter is taking a bath in the river and this little, you know, boat flows by. It's got a baby in it. And she opens it up and it says, she's beautiful. So she takes the child and she calls Miriam that's close by. Miriam is his older sister and says, go find me a handmaiden to take care of this baby for me, a Jewish handmaiden. So she goes and gets Jochebed, Moses' mother, brings her back and she gets her baby back. By faith, she gave up her baby, but she received it back. And while Moses was small, I don't know how long it took, four or five years old, six maybe, she was telling him that he was Jewish. You're Hebrew. I'm sure that his mom told him. So at 40 years old, and you think how long it took, what did he do during these times? History tells us that he went out on military campaigns. It took him 40 years to finally go, I will no longer be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I refuse. Choosing rather, and notice the word choosing there. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. And this is a choice that we need to make as well, knowing that we are not part of this world. We should refuse by faith to be called a part of this world and rather to choose affliction with the people of God, knowing that the pleasure of sin is fleeting. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. 
For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.